You are Locked On Orioles, your daily podcast on the Baltimore Orioles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Locked On Orioles, your place for Orioles news and analysis from the clubhouse to the warehouse and beyond. As always, I'm your host, Justin McGuire. I'm the former Major League Baseball editor for Sporting News. I'm a former Cy Young and Rookie of the Year voter, and I'm a lifelong Orioles fan. Well, folks, we have some exciting news. The Orioles appear to be on the verge of hiring Mike Elias as their new GM. Elias is the assistant general manager for the Astros. He's a guy who started his career as a scout for the St. Louis Cardinals, came over for the Astros along with Jeff Lunau, and has been a key part of the rebuild that made the Astros the 2017 World Series champion. He's a Northern Virginia native, a former pitcher for Yale, and a guy who's only 35 years old. It looks like Sig Maydahl, the architect of the Astros Analytics Department, is coming over as well. To talk about all this, we have a guest today, Dan Zimborski. He is a senior writer for Fangraphs, so we'll get to that in just a second. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Locked On Orioles. We are joined now by Dan Zimborski. He is a senior writer for Fangraphs. He's been a guest on the show many times before. Uh, and Dan, I wanted to talk to you about this recent news that we've heard that the Orioles are, looks like they're going to hire um, Astros assistant GM Mike Elias as the new um, either general manager or pre- president of, uh, vice president of baseball operations, whatever the title's going to be. He's going to be the guy in charge of everything for, on the baseball side. Um, it's not official yet, but, it, but several people, starting with Bob Nightingale, have reported that this, this is going to happen. So we're going to operate on the assumption that this is the truth. And the reason I, I wanted to talk to you, Dan, in particular, is because you had tweeted something a while back when there were rumors circulating that Ned Coletti might be the guy. You had tweeted something to the effect that if that happened, your, your newfound faith in the Orioles was all going to dissipate again, and it was just going to be like the old days. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on this hire. Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts about the Orioles making Mike Elias the guy in charge? Well, I'm 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 quite optimistic. I don't know I don't know him personally. I only know him by reputation. Uh, the days where it was possible to know everybody in analytics are long gone. So there's it, it it's sad a little on, in some ways. Uh, but he has he has a great reputation. So does Maidal. Um, I I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of, I'm I'm, I, I'm a little giddy. I'm glad to see the Orioles go modern. Uh, I mean, Coletti is a good guy and he's a good administrator. Uh, but you know, it's also 2019 almost, and I'd like to see the Orioles just, you know, be progressive in this sense, uh, because the Orioles will never have as much money as the Red Sox or Yankees. So they have to be smart and they have to be able to take advantage of what they do have the ability to do. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I, I'll feel better when I know how Brady Anderson fits into everything, I don't want another situation where you have kind of dueling authorities in an organization which has served the Orioles very poorly in recent years. So it's it's a wait and see, I think. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, and I've seen a lot of people bring that up on Twitter. It's like, well, this looks good, but let's see what's actually going to happen. And And the reason that I'm a little bit optimistic, I guess, about that is – I feel like this guy, uh, Mike Elias, who is clearly an up-and-comer, clearly very well regarded in the industry, and you know, if he waits a year, we'll probably have a chance, you know, for another job. And he certainly would get an opportunity before too long if he doesn't take this job. I feel like he's not going to take this job if he doesn't have real assurance that he's going to be in charge and that there's not going to be anybody looking over his shoulder and there's not going to be a second power base within the warehouse. And and it, you know, who knows what the reality will be? But I feel like. 
he had to get those assurances before he agreed to take the job. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hope that that is the case uh, because it's also a step up from him. If it was like a side grade for someone, they might have gotten more of a guarantee of more power. But, you know, I'm, I'm used to being pessimistic about the Orioles. So that just might be me being an old curmudgeon about the whole thing. Uh, it's I don't know. It's I think I've been I think I'd be jaded to. Uh, to an extent over the years that I, it's hard for me to get legitimately excited about things. Yeah, and I think all of us who followed the Orioles for a long time kind of feel that way. I, I, I tweeted out something to that effect yesterday. It's like, well, you know, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop as Orioles fans on these things. But, you know, I just, again, I'm going to be optimistic and say that this is, a, the you know, the first big decision made by the Orioles that Peter Angelos had nothing to do with, as far as I can tell, you know, and that seems like a, um, that seems like a step in the right direction that, that it, they really, they are embracing analytics. They are embracing scouting and the things that they need to be embracing in 2019. Yeah. I have, I, I have such, I have so many mixed feelings about Angelos because while I don't think his ownership's been very good in the last 15 years, I mean, he also very, he also, also did a lot for the team early on in, in, in its run. He did commit to keep the team in Baltimore. Uh, if people remember, Jeff Loria was one of the bidders for the Orioles uh, uh, back then. So that's that's a definite improvement. Uh, but I, I, I think that the time that that he should have been more hands-off was probably, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, not so much now. Because, uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's talk about his health, and I hope he's okay. Uh, but I I definitely have mixed feelings about his stint as owner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are there are a lot of things about Peter Angelos the man that are um that, that you have to respect. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things he's accomplished in his life and a lot of ways he's approached things that are that are definitely worthy of respect. But like you said, as an owner of a baseball team, certainly in recent years, I don't think he's been at the top of his game and I don't think he's always made decisions that were best for the long-term baseball interests of the Orioles. Um, and, and that's, you know, he's not the only owner who's, who's guilty of that. But, but I think that's one of the reasons that this team has, has struggled a lot and has, has run into some of these problems and now find themselves, you know, in a pretty uh, deep, gaping hole that they're, they're trying to get out of. And so let's talk about that. I mean, if Mike um, Elias really is the guy, he's got a lot of work ahead of him, doesn't he? Oh, there, there's no question about that. And, it's good in a lot of ways, uh, especially with how directionless the team's kind of been. It's good in a lot of ways that he has so much work to do because there isn't really that option to win now. If if the Orioles hadn't, say, sold, you know, even Kevin Gosman or, or, or Jonathan Scope, there might have been enough of a roster there that ownership feels, you know, we can be still relevant in 2019. But by kind of clearing the roster, I mean, even Adam Jones obviously would have been traded if he had approved a deal. Uh, by, but by, well, I mean, he'd be a free agent anyway, but, uh, I think by just clearing the things, I mean, like the whole house has been torn down. There's no question of, you know, a slight remodel. And I think that's a good thing. I, because the Orioles, whether they want to or not, are committed to a full rebuild of the kind the Astros did, uh, with Jeff Lunau or the, or the, uh, or the, um, the team I can't, the Cubs. I couldn't remember the Cubs name where the Cubs did when they hired Epstein, uh, that, that is what the position, position the Orioles are in, and that's what they need. They need a remake of the organization from top to bottom. 
I think one of the reasons that a lot of people, myself included, were kind of excited that this is the guy, that Mike Elias is the guy, is because he is coming from the Astros organization, and they just did this. They just proved it can be done to, you know, to come, you know, start with a team that's just it's rock bottom, you know, a team that three years in a row the Astros had the worst record in baseball. And, you know, to that team within a few years was a contender, and then a couple years after that won a World Series. And, you know, of course, that's obviously the, the model the Orioles are going to want to follow. You know, will, will it work out as well as it did in Houston? You know, only time will tell. But, but here he's a guy who's used to dealing with a, a bad team and starting over again and, and starting over from the bottom. So he, he's been through this before. And I think that's one of the reasons that, that I kind of like the hire. He, he kind of knows what to do in a situation like this. He knows what moves you're supposed to be making. I'm trying to figure out who's left in Houston. Uh, I mean, they just hired Sarah Gellis. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation of her last name. Uh, they still have Kevin Goldstein, it, it, I, I believe, unless he's quietly left. I don't think he has. Uh, they still have Colin Wires, I think. But they, they've, they've shed a lot of their staff in the last month. And that's, of course, one of the problems of, with success is that everybody's going to raid your, your organization. Yeah, you're going to be poached. Exactly. So, um, and that's what's happening with them. And so, hopefully, hopefully the Orioles got a, a good one. I've been, you know, I'm sure as you have, I've gone around on Twitter and, and other places, and I've been looking for reactions. And I'll be honest with you, I, mean, I don't, I haven't found one negative reaction to this yet. I haven't found one person either, you know, in Orioles within the Orioles or outside the Orioles who said, "Man, this is a bad decision." Everything is, yeah, this is the right call. This is exactly the kind of guy they needed. This is, this shows that they're serious about analytics and. About about um, you know scouting and the things that they haven't been as, as serious about in recent years. Um, have you seen any? Do you have any reason to be uh, pessimistic about this beyond the things we've already talked about, which is you know what how much control he'll actually have? No, I, I see no reason for concern at this point, other than, other than you know the generalized concern we expressed. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are some fans that are upset about the whole analytics thing, but you know we we, we do have some we do have some selection bias. Is I I tend to be you know, around a younger, more analytic friendly crowd than some people are. And, and you're in the same circles. Uh, so there, there could be people who are upset about this and, and want, you know, an old timey baseball guy, uh, but I haven't run into them yet. They're, yeah. they're probably out there. Yeah. Like I said, I'm sure there are some, but like you said, it's, it's really is, um, is remarkable that, especially with this team to see just the fans, at least again, the ones that I've seen and I, and I've kind of searched his name on Twitter, just looking for what people are saying. And, and everybody's like, yeah, this is great. I'm really, I'm giddy. You know, I saw a quote from somebody, uh, I think it was a, a Toronto writer. I forget who it was, but he said, um, uh, this is a quote from a scout that he got. that said, uh, this is bad news for the rest of the AL East. So basically it's, you know, people out there in the baseball world, Orioles fans, everybody seems to think this is the right move. And, and of course, it's it's just a weird feeling. I think you expressed this on Twitter yesterday. It's a weird feeling as an Orioles fan to wait a minute. Did they actually make the right call here? Did they do the right thing? Because I think so many of us had sort of resigned ourselves that it was going to be some sort of retread or somebody who was a known name but maybe was not necessarily in touch with baseball in 2019. And to have them actually make a call like this is just it just seems strange. It's been a long time since they've made a, a move like this. Yeah, there's always some sort of you know O's related. Those related depression, like like Churchill's black dog, you just think, oh, the Orioles, what are they going to do now? Because really, all all last winter, I was just thinking, how are they going to mess up the Machado situation? Are they going to? How are they going to mess up rebuilding? That was that was like the the, the darkness in my soul all winter, all last winter. Uh, so to to see them, you know, 
do what I would have done. I mean, I actually would have tried to trade Machado earlier, but, you know, that's water under the bridge. Uh, I don't run the team, uh, thankfully for everyone. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy, and I don't – it's a new feeling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I'm, as we said, you know, it's going to be – it's going to be a few years at the least, you know, before this team is actually competitive again, and it's going to be a rebuilding process that's going to last over multiple seasons. But I, the thing that I said, I've said it many times on this podcast to many guests as we've talked about the rebuild, because that's honestly all all we talked about after July. Is on this, there's nothing else to talk about the Orioles. But the thing that I kept saying over and over again is. If they have a plan in place and they have competent people running it, that's all I can ask for as a fan. You know, the results, who knows what they'll be at the end of the day. There's no guarantee of anything. But at least if they look like this is how we, this is where we want to be and this is how we want to get there, and they have somebody who's actually has the authority to make the decisions to try to get them there, as a fan, that's all I can ask for. And, you know, knock on wood, at this point, it seems like that's the direction they're heading in. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I know a lot of fans, for instance, were upset that the Orioles were were unable to close the deal with, you know, we'll just call those players the Victor Bunch, the Victor, 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 Mesa, Victor, Mesa, Victor. Right. Well, a lot of it was, it was only two guys, but <laughs> people were upset about that. But it, what was important wasn't necessarily that the Orioles sign these particular guys, even though, you know, you would have liked them to. What was important was that the Orioles were in the mindset where they could sign these guys, where they weren't, that they're not just saying, oh, we Latin America. No player ever came from there. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's another thing that I, I like about Ilias is um, I, I don't know a ton about him. Um, most of what I know is from uh, Ben Ryder's book, Astro Ball, which I, I read recently because I had Ben on my other podcast. So, But there's a lot about Elias in there, and I looked through it again. And, uh, one of the things that was really – that bring, makes you think well of him is that he was the guy who really pushed for them to make Carlos Correa the number one pick in the draft the year he was drafted. Because if you remember, um, Correa wasn't necessarily you know the consensus pick for the number one overall. There were other players in that draft, and um, he was the one who got on him early. Was their area scout in Puerto Rico, and and kind of you know, spent a lot of time around Correa and his family, and really pushed him to make that call. So he's a guy who's not just you know not just familiar with. Uh, scouting, but he's, he's familiar with Latin American scouting. He's used to, ha- you know, he's used to having input on a number one overall pick, which the Orioles have. So there's a lot of reasons to think that his background is a perfect fit for what they need right now. Yeah, that that was uh, that was the year that Mark Apple didn't sign, right? That the Pirates took him. They that that could have ended up poorly for the Astros. I think was that the Mark Apple. Yeah, I I don't remember I, I, exactly. Yeah, but, it yeah. all the years as I get older, years tend to meld in my head more than they used to. But and he and he also apparently was key in the Alex Bregman selection, the the you know which was a couple of years after that I think when they had number two pick because one of the guy who didn't sign or something. So yeah, it was in any case um, he he has a ba- extensive background in scouting. And the other part of this that can, can not official, but several people have reported, including I think Keith Law, is that it appears that Sig Maydahl is going to be coming with him as a, a, to head up analytics for the Orioles and. That's something that was very exciting to me because Sigmiel is a name that I've been hearing for a long time as kind of the key guy in, in building the Astros analytics department. Yeah, he's he's another guy who has a great reputation. I don't I don't personally know him either, uh, but I, I, I do think that a lot of people I respect that do know him are very impressed. And, you know, it's, it's hard to impress Keith. Uh, so if Keith is impressed by something, I mean, he doesn't. 
Keith is not someone who, you know, uh, there's a lot of sunshine that isn't warranted out there. <laughs> That's um, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he, he shares that, 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 that trait with me. I mean, when I'm generous, I'm not doing it lightly. So that, 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 that Keith, who I've known for, you know, 20 years, um, more than that now, actually. But if, if Keith is optimistic and, you know, he did talk with the Astros some years ago about a job. So he is very familiar with the organization. Uh, as that's public knowledge too. I'm not, I'm not leaking his, like his, his, his job history. So, but, but he, he's familiar with the, with the ground. I guess the next question then becomes, you know, so again, assuming that these two guys come on board and we hear about that within the next couple of days, um, you know, the manager is the next position. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I've I've said this before on the podcast, but in some ways I feel like the manager they hire now isn't necessarily that important because this is a guy who may not last until <laughs> they're competitive again, just because that seems to be how it goes in a lot of these rebuilds, is that some manager has to has to absorb all these losses for a few years and then they decide to make a change. That's that's what the Astros did and that's what the Cubs did. Yeah, the the thing about managers is uh you you you, you I'm not a fan of, of signing retreads uh, simply because there are so many baseball people who can't do that job that there's almost no reason to to get someone with like a mixed record. I know people got on me for saying that about Brad, Brad Osmus, but I'd rather have an unknown in a job where there's only 30 people in the world who have that job. I'd rather get an unknown that has a promising upside than a guy who had a very middling record in the past. So but but we'll see. I mean, t- getting a manager is always kind of a risk. Uh, sometimes these things work out. Sometimes they don't. I think what they're going to look for long term are is a situation where the man it's a man the manager is someone who can cooperate and work with the front office because that is something the Orioles were definitely missing. There was there was no you know collaborative relationship between Buck Showalter and, and Dan Duquette. Right. I mean, there's the uh, there's I mean that just wasn't a thing. And I think it's important because teams realize that, you know, you can't just have, you know, a, a GM that's all powerful in, in player signings and, and a manager who's all powerful on the field. You, you, it's not really a way to to have a cooperative relationship uh, and to, you know, work towards the same team goals. Uh, I think I mean, most teams are going that direction. It's a very modern way to run teams. Uh, and sometimes you see guys with success get fired simply because they don't meld as well with the front office. Uh, uh, most notably is, is Aaron Boone. Uh, I mean, the, the Yankees let uh, Joe Girardi go after a 90-win season, uh, but the thing about Girardi is he wasn't really of the same mindset as Brian Cashman, not really the same analytical bent. And the team didn't think Girardi was a bad manager, but they wanted someone who could more closely work with them, who they could give data to, and the manager would try to use it, or at least would understand the underlying reasons for that data being given to them in the first place. And Boone did fill that. So I think that's that's what they're going to look for, because you want that kind of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you talk about the Duquette-Showalter thing, and of course there are a couple of factors at play there. One, Duquette's not the guy who signed Buck Showalter, so there was always that, that I think, dynamic at play. And also the fact that, you know, like you said, Buck Showalter is an old-school guy. He'd been a manager for a long time. He's, he's an, a different generation. He's big personality. And, you know, he's a guy who wasn't going to, 
willingly take orders from the front office about how to set up his lineup and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, that, that wasn't happening. Uh, the, the thing about Showalter is he was probably a good manager for a particular type of team. Uh, the one that the Orioles had, I mean, when they got their when they had their burst of success, yeah, there were young players, but there was also some really good veteran low-key signings. And that kind of team, I, I, you can see Showalter being good with, but I just can't imagine – like with Dusty Baker, who has his moments, I can't imagine going with Showalter through a long, painful rebuild. I yeah, don't w- think he, even if he wanted to, I don't think he'd be happy. And yeah, I don't think anyone watching the Orioles would be happy after a year of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm of the, I'm of the mind. Buck Showalter was the right manager at the right time for mm-hmm. the Orioles and had a lot of success. And I'm I'm very glad they brought him in. Uh, he did a lot of positive things for the organization, but now they're at a different point. They're at a complete rebuild, and yeah, it's time to move on and, and hire somebody else. Um, one name that I've seen thrown around, I don't know if you know anything about this guy, but uh, Joe Espada, who is a uh, the bench coach with the Astros, that's a name that I've seen thrown around. Obviously, Elias would be very familiar with him. Um, do you know anything about him? Uh, I, I I don't. He, he used to be with the Yankees. Uh, he's been a coach for a few teams, uh, uh, but I don't really know that much about him. He did interview for the Blue Jays position, I believe, uh, the, the managerial position. Uh, so he, he's not someone that I, 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 I really know super well. Right. I do, he's a native of Puerto Rico, I know, which – you know, can't I, I would think it wouldn't hurt to have a you know a Spanish speaking manager as they try to get move into the international market, but but who knows? Um, yeah, it's I think I think that being bilingual at this at this point in history is is a is a good thing. Uh, is just for any manager, it's it's part of the job. I I agree. I, I agree. I mean, there are times that even just as a baseball writer, I wish my Spanish was better. Uh, I mean, it's okay, but my Spanish doesn't really cover baseball-related topics. I don't know how to ask a player in Spanish about launch angle. I know how to ask, where is the butcher shop, or how do I get to the bathroom? <laughs> right, it's like, exactly. like my, my, my Spanish vocabulary is all targeted towards the wrong area. Exactly. Well, that, that's something that you know, I've heard people say that before, but they're talking about you know, young writers looking to get into baseball, that you know, learning Spanish is a huge leg up. And yeah, I think that's Sabre Mexico, true. is that how it's said? I, it's like, uh, we did not learn what Sabre Metrics was in Spanish. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, well, Dan, thanks a lot for coming on. It's it's nice to talk to you at a time when there's something you know positive to say about the Orioles because I know most of the time <laughs> we're on here, it's not positive. So um, I appreciate it, and we'd definitely like to have you back on some this off season to talk about how things are going and and look at this long term plan that they're going to be implementing. Always, always, always fun, Justin. Thanks for having me on. And that's going to do it for another edition of Locked On Orioles. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.